Welcome back to Talk of the Now podcast, and it's Jason, and it's me, Gene, your host, and um, coming from my bunker here in um, undisclosed location, Fiji. <laughs> Just kidding. I've been. I'm still watching uh, Survivor a lot, and um, so it's on the mind. I've been um, binge watching, and with 42 seasons, there's a lot to binge. If you know what I mean. Um. But it's a quite interesting show. Have you watched it much, Jason? No. I mean, it's a little bit on the um, staged and cheesy side. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder how much is or could be staged. And at times you watch it and you're like, maybe that's not, you know, staged. I don't know. Um, but it is odd. And for some reason, I'm talking because I want to adjust my volume because you're not coming in very loudly. So I'm not. No. Um, yeah, might be just be the headset too. That's a little uh, inside baseball for you folks. Just kidding. That's right. The uh, so yeah, it is interesting to me. However, so you watch um, keep it up March Madness, Jason. I'm just kidding. I know you're not a basketball. <laughs> Good talk. Good talk, um, Gene. So I had an idea for tonight to talk about. Um, since we've been camping out on music um, prolifically, oh, big word. Um, would posthumously be a good? Mm, this? I don't even know no, what that really means. That'd be only that'd be only after after the fact. You should you should probably be able to <laughs> define a word before you use it, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> posthumously, impromptu. Uh, I wanted to. Um, I thought about this. Might as well double down and do some more uh, musical topics. And this one, I'm going to head back over to the um, the classic rock uh, room, if you will. I'm going to meander down the hall. Hold on a second. Okay, there we go. Uh, and <clears throat> for some reason, I wanted to do these to talk about these two bands on one night because, in my mind, they're quite related to each other in their own different special way. Um, both British and they both have a career that has, um, well, one band has their career has ended, but it spanned it probably 40 years, roughly, um, maybe more like 20, 30 years, but the other band is, you know, still going what's left of it. But anyway, this band has, before I tell you, this band has gone from the, uh, the 60s era, mid-60s-ish, and kind of all the way up to um, 1990-ish, basically. Um, and so these two bands, to me, they share kind of a very um, interesting timeline that's similar and a very cultural timeline that's that's similar to me, even though they have a different sound and a different um, type of music in some ways. Not very different, but a lot, but, but different. You could definitely tell one to me is more technical and the other is more um, kind of, um, for lack of a better word, party band or a band that you would just like play if you want to drive fast. So can you think of the two bands I'm thinking of? Hmm. Well, my first thought was Rolling Stones. Mm -hmm. but, the, but the Rolling Stones did have a lot of uh, albums and even successful albums after 1990. Yeah. Voodoo Lounge comes to mind. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, not necessarily that you and I like, but a lot, but, uh, you know. But that was a good guess. Hmm. For some reason, I always lumped them with the Beatles because they had that whole who's better, the Beatles Stones argument. Hmm. Hmm. Nineteen ninety, ish. That's kind of puzzling me right there. Yeah, one well, one band actually did have a a good album after nineteen ninety, but the the other band has, they haven't really done much since the eighties. I'd say as far as um successful albums go. Hmm. And you so you can't think of it. both both came out of like the mid late sixties and they went all the way up to you know pretty well-known and well-respected and, and new music coming out up to around 90. 
hmm. both British. And I believe they both came, you know, they, I mean, they may not have been from London, but I think they came out of the London scene. Hmm. You just let me know when you're ready for me to tell you. You're not talking about the clash, are you? Uh, no, no. Okay. It's not from 60s, Jason. Okay, it's been a long week. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, well, first thought is the who. Oh, very good. That is one of them. Okay. Let's see. No, that's okay. I'll talk. The other band, uh, like I said, um, I think the um, the key word or hint might have. Yeah, yeah, that's much better. The key word might have been technical. Might have been my biggest hint for you on that one. Pink Floyd. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. For some, <laughs> and I don't know why, but for some reason, I think it's because both bands started out. Well, the the. The Who went through a psychedelic phase, but they were even before that. They went through the mod scene of London. Yeah. You know, they kind of came out of that scene, I guess, in mid sixties. Maybe as far, maybe as far back as sixty four, sixty five. I don't remember. Um, my generation, all that, and a little bit before that. Um, and Pink Floyd came out of that. You know, and if you listen to Pink Floyd's earliest stuff, it's a yeah. little bit more on the, um, you know. Their their early stuff almost sounds a little who like. Um, yeah, it's very it's very sixties London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then of course they're you know to me their their paths sort of diverged during the seventies to me where the who got a little bit more I think sort of um, I mean they both experimented with the technology of the day of the seventies, but the, to me like I like I was saying the who was a little bit more. If anything, they went more toward the artistic side. And maybe uh, Pink Floyd went more toward the um, experimental side. Does that sound right? Yeah. Um, I think maybe Alan Parsons had something to do with that, with, you know, Dark Side of the Moon and that um, not. Um, I would say, because if you listen to Alan Parsons' project that he had, um, you know, that could have very almost easily been done by Pink Floyd. A lot of those songs sure you know so it's got that very it's not it's it's industrial but it's like moody industrial you know i don't know what you call it yeah. exactly you know it's kind of got its own thing it's not pro it's not progressive but it's i don't know it's its own it's its own thing this is why pink floyd kind of stands out to me a little yeah. bit no well, as far as production level pink floyd's probably one of the best Oh, no doubt. No, um, no question. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I was going to say, have you ever seen these um, reaction videos they do nowadays on yeah, YouTube? I watched a couple of those the other night, actually. There's a couple of interesting guys. There's one guy named Jamal that I've watched. Um, and and he, he's an African-American guy um, in California. Said he grew up in L.A., kind of in the streets in the hood, or maybe um, Oakland. And uh, But he never listened to any classic rock before. And so he's... Yeah. He, he, he grew up on hip hop and, you know, um, rap of the eighties and nineties. And so he's just now getting around to listening. And it's, it is very interesting to see his reaction to like listening. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you'll, you'll be impressed by this. Two of his best reactions to me come from, uh, Pink Floyd and Rush. Oh, that he's the guy I watched. He's the guy I watched. Uh, maybe he watched, um, Neil Peart's drum solo mm -hmm. live his live drum solo from um, Germany ah. and, and, and was just like, Oh, you know? Um, yeah. I, I love those yeah. videos actually. It was because I mean, you know, if they're purely something they've never watched before or listened to, then it's really kind of cool to see the reactions. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also I mean, in Led Zeppelin. It's also, you know, it's, it's kind of akin to those kids react to videos mm -hmm. too. Which well, are all interesting too. It's it's refreshing to me to see somebody like that that's in the whole that's not never really been into rock music until now because it reminds me of my teenage years when I was 13, 14, and I started mm -hmm. hearing classic rock music for the first time and started hearing the Zeppelin and was kind of like, Whoa, what is this? This is awesome, you know. Yeah, I can remember being 12, 13, 14 hearing um well, I heard it before then, but I didn't really get into it. Like um, for instance, with Pink Floyd, um <laughs> another break <laughs> excuse me <laughs> i 
swallowed on it. Dean's Another emotional and choked up. Folks. Yeah. Another brick in the wall. <laughs> Let me cough, Jason, while you talk. Okay. Um, yeah, so Gene heard another brick in the wall. Uh, he has a very emotional attachment to the song. Gene will be back soon, folks, to tell you his reaction. Wow, that was uh, a... <laughs> that looks like my cold came back out for a party. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I mean, I remember hearing that song as even like a eight-year-old or a younger. Of course, I, I believe that album came out in, say, 1980 or 81. Um, but anyway... Um, so you're would you would you say that you're much even a fan of the Who? Yeah, I mean I like them. Um, yeah. You know they're not one they're not like my favorite, but they're you know they're not I'm, they're one I would listen to. They're on the radio. You know if they come on, I'm I'm like yeah, turn it up. It's the Who. Um, mm-hmm. n- not really a big fan. I I actually don't like my generation that song, mm-hmm. just because you, you hear it all the time. But you know you get into Eminence Front, you know later stuff, and definitely has more of a you know, sure. a, a more 80s friendly sound <laughs> to it. Yeah, um, well, yeah. And, and it's such a different sound for the Who. Um, right. During that period. It was actually, um, might have been the first album that was post um, Keith Moon, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously that changed them a little bit. Anytime, for some reason, the bands from that era lost their drummers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it didn't stop the who really um right stop led zeppelin but it didn't stop the who you know um yeah that is interesting that that both bands had similar circumstances and one was like well we'll just carry on and then the other one was kind of like no we're done yeah and i mean and you can say the same kind of for pink floyd and um what's his name uh the guy that uh got heavily when roger waters left the band no no the guy Oh, um, Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett, gosh, yeah, earlier, was, yeah, yeah. To me, he was, you know, obviously a, a driving force, and then, you know, Dark Side of the Moon comes out, and you can definitely tell that there's a a bit of a tribute to him going on. Yeah, and it's um, a sad tribute for sure. It is because you know apparently he showed up in the the studio at one point, and they didn't even recognize who he was. Mm. Um, and and so I watched one of those you know stories of the album on you know little documentaries and yeah and that was they talked a lot about that um he just got in with like a a bad drug scene almost cultish type thing going on um well i think that he was also documented as um most likely schizophrenic or mental issues um yeah it didn't help anything to add drugs to that and he was Um, a guy that um he was around for years and years afterwards um yeah he didn't die till the 90s right yeah maybe 2000s oh no 2000s right yeah yeah he 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 lived Mm -hmm. a longer time than you know even probably any of them thought he would Um, but you know what you give pink floyd credit and they took care of him Um, they did yeah like i i didn't know this but apparently you know they they never you know cheated him like i think they still gave him they might have even still gave him some royalties and stuff. I don't know from the yeah. Later I mean, albums, they did. But, yeah, they know. they gave him all the royalties for everything he did. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, which is you know that that's a tribute to them because you know they definitely didn't. Some of them didn't get along, um, which is a shame for music, honestly. Right. Um, because they could they could tour again, you know. Um, but. You know, yeah, their key, gonna... I believe their keyboardist may have, is it their keyboardist or their drummer passed away a couple of years ago? Maybe their yeah, keyboardist. I think their keyboardist, yeah. Mm-hmm. The drummer, um, I think, is still alive. He's involved with racing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he was on Top Gear one time um, talking about racing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's just. Um, I don't know. There's so much to talk about with both of those bands. I mean, the who, I mean, it, who are you? That album is just, you know, to me, is their quintessential mm-hmm. album to me? I mean, a lot of people say Tommy, but I mean, Tommy was obviously a different thing. So who uh, are you? Okay. So who are you is your favorite album then? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Just all around. Um, that was a new, that was a new sound direction for them as well. Yeah. I think it, but it also, yeah, it, <clears throat> it showed their their level of commitment to it and mm-hmm. you know and then you then you'd look over to pink floyd and it's like okay 
you know, two bands existed side by side, but were completely, you know, different, even though there were sometimes, even though there were some parts where it's like, okay, like say a song like Eminence Front, Pink Floyd could have done that, you know, um, but it wouldn't have been, it had been over, it had been multi-layered. That, to me, that's what I think of when I think of Pink Floyd is layers of music. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, well, Pink Floyd sort of took the. Um, I, I feel like they sort of took the lead, or or the follow, whatever you want to call it, of the experimental fade of of the like they took what the Beatles were doing during the Sgt. Pepper's White Album phase, and they sort of oh well let's just take that further, whereas the Beatles you know they sort of did that and went out of that phase, and they did the Let It Be sessions and all that. I mean the, right um, to get back and which was more stripped down, but. I think a lot of bands like Pink Floyd was like, oh, yeah, let's get in there and loop everything or do whatever we got to do. Right. And um, I was trying to think, my actual favorite Pink Floyd song is, um, I can find it. Uh, Bicycle? (laughs) Fearless. Oh, Fearless. Off of the um, metal album. Metal album. Okay. Well, hey, uh, speaking of albums, um, I guess while we're on, uh, do you want to start? We'll go through the discography a little bit. Do you want to just start with Pink Floyd or the Who? Uh, let's start with Floyd. Um, see, I'm looking over it on Wikipedia here, and their discogra- discography, I can't say that word. Discography, um, yeah, I know. Discography. Um, <laughs> it spanned from 1967 till, and they had an album, a last album in, in 2014, but really their last album was. Um, 1994's Division Bell. And further, really, a lot of people might argue that The Wall might have been their last cohesive band album where everybody was involved. The final cut apparently was um, a Roger Waters kind of project that everybody was on it. And I think that um, David Gilmore sang on a few songs, but um, I've 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 never actually sat down and listened to the final cut before all the way through. I wasn't a big fan of it personally. Um, but uh, anyway, going back to the beginning though, they started 1967 with the Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Yeah, um, it even sounds 60-ish, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> and if you if anybody's ever watched, you can find YouTube videos of um some of their early um live shows on the BBC and whatnot, and it's very psychedelic. Yeah, they definitely had a a direction they were going at that mm-hmm. point. And um, and then a source uh, uh um. A Sauce Full of Secrets. <laughs> that was their second album. And then more. And then, uh, how do you even say this? Uh, I'm a gummin. I'm a gummin. <laughs> U-M-M-A-G-U-M-M-A. Uh, oh, oh, my gumma. Yeah, I guess that's what you would say. And that was a, um, I think that was a part uh, studio and part live album. Yeah, and see, I am just, I am not a live album fan. There are a few albums that obviously really? we know. I just can't stand it. I'm like, I like to sing along, and then when they change it up, I don't like it. Now, this is interesting, um, Jason. I did not know this about you. Well, now, obviously, like, take Frampton Comes Alive. I think it's weird to hear studio music from Frampton because we're so used to hearing <laughs> the live music. So it just depends on the band. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, no. Because <laughs> you just – I like to sing along. I'm, I, you know, I used to sing a lot, and when you can't – Cause they always change it up. You know, it's the same song, but they, they change it up a little bit. It's like, Oh, that's frustrating. You know, it's like this. Um, I like going to watch a band live, but I don't want to hear most of the time the recordings. I, I, and it's okay. I just don't, it's just not my favorite. Well, there you go. Oh, you cut out. Can you hear me now? Um, oh, I can hear you now. Sorry. I have several albums that I love. They're live. Um, and I've listened to that live side of that Amagama um, yeah. album. It's pretty good. It was sort of like a live album of all their previous 1967 to 69 stuff. Um, but it, yeah, there's several. Uh, I can think of one. Um, U2 um, Under Blood Red Sky is a really um, great live album of them at Red Rocks. Yeah. That's a really great live album that I love. Um, and, and a few others. But uh, anyway uh adam hart uh, mother is a great album and i think you said you liked uh metal right yeah metal's the one with the song fearless on it which i like mm. it's acoustic guitar 
just a, a really cool song. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of good um, acoustical and instrumental songs on a lot of their albums that I think you could probably make the greatest hits of their um, instrumental stuff, basically. Oh, yeah. Obscured in the Clouds. Um, obscured by Clouds. Excuse yeah. me, Obscured by Clouds. I'm not reading properly tonight. And um, that, that was all your pre- um, Dark Side of the Moon stuff, which was the next album. So 1967 to 72, basically a span of five years to me of, um, I guess you could say um, Pink Floyd finding their sound in a lot of ways. Yeah. Also, you know, I also switched for music in general um, Mm. because, you know, right after that, about that year is when the psychedelic stuff kind of faded away Um, Mm -hmm. just for music, the industry in general. And then that's reflected with, you know, Dark Side of the Moon coming on to be a heavily produced album. You, you know? know, that's another thing too about the Who. I mean, not the Who. Um, Pink Floyd. They they didn't play at Woodstock. Um, they were not no, they a hippie didn't. band, were they? No, they and, were. Go ahead. I mean, I just yeah, they just probably weren't invited either. No, maybe not for some I, reason. You know. If anything, from what I've learned from watching documentaries about them, they were more like the nerds. And I know that their their music and their concerts have a reputation for being, you know, places for like people that want to, you know, basically get high. But um, <laughs> when I've seen documentaries about them, they come across to me as very businesslike and very, uh, yeah, we're trying to do stuff that's very technical and hasn't been done before and innovative. That's what I get my impression of. Yeah. Um, it is funny how some of the bands that existed that didn't play Woodstock back then. Um, yeah, just in general. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, as we move on to the to Dark Side of the Moon, you, you I mean, I, 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 the aforementioned Alan Parsons, you know, um, I'm just a, a production genius, you know. Mm-hmm. The Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> yep, that was his band. Um, <laughs> too bad they could never become a band. They're always a project. Um, <laughs> you know, it had hits on their own. Um, right. Uh, but again, with a very decidedly same kind of sound. Um, but yeah, Dark Side of the Moon obviously changed the game. To the me. making that the making of the Dark Side of the Moon is a great documentary, by the way. That's what I watched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, to me, it's just uh, it's one of those those kind of <laughs> like split time moments in music, you know. Yeah, like your your AD and, and BC kind of moment for for music, um, because it changed it for a lot of people, you know, because they were like, "Ooh, that's, yeah." <laughs> well, you and I, I love. Yeah, I was gonna say you and I weren't even born in '73, but um, no, I don't think if you look through catalogs of music, rock music or whatever, all the way up to 1973, including Led Zeppelin. I don't think you're going to hear anything that sounds remotely like Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, as much as I love Zeppelin, yeah, it just, the production value on Dark Side of the Moon was just above anything, I don't, especially I don't, this time. Yeah, frame. I think if they tried to emulate that album, they couldn't do it nowadays. No. E- even with digital recording and technology, I think that there was just a – they did it with their analog stuff and they did it the right way and they just had everything on the right levels. Yep. Dave Grohl's favorite. Yep. Yeah. It's just true. The analog's richer. It's just the way, I mean, that, that album was definitely meant to be on vinyl. You know, I mean, I've got a original Mm. copy and it's, it's, you know, it's a very rich, warm sound and then definitely vinyl definitely brings that out. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to pull up uh, Dark Side of the Moon here just uh, while we're camping out on it for a second to see the track listing. Um, yeah, I know it's too bad. What, to do you have a favorite while we're talking? About. Do you have a favorite song from the Dark Side of the Moon? Uh, yeah, it's Time. Time. That's a pretty easy one for sure. Yeah. Uh, time to me is just great. I um, mean, all these songs are really good. It's just uh, Time has always been kind of my favorite of that one. Um, I, I, you know, I can never decide which one I like. It might be, it might very well be, um, time is up there for sure. It might be us and them. 
I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. All good. But the thing about that album is though, you have to listen to it as though it were a song. Like it's like yeah. one continuous song that lasts for 43 minutes in a way. Yeah, that's an art that's been lost. Oh, um, for sure. You know, obviously one of my other favorite my favorite bands, Rush, did that um as yeah. well. I mean, they were obviously influenced by Pink Floyd a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's not many things where you're like, okay, I've got to drive 43 minutes to wherever. I think I'll put on Pink Floyd and just listen to the whole thing, you know, and then I'll be there. Might be a little, might be a little too droney to drive to. <laughs> you know, <they're, laughs> I mean, it's, they're meant kind of for sitting and listening kind of music. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I that's a good point. Like, you know, you have bands like Rush and then Pink Floyd did it on a couple albums where it was only like, I mean, think about well, well later on, we'll get to Animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what four tracks on that album. I mean, come on, you know, it's like all album side type things, and yeah, it doesn't really translate as yeah. well to digital to me, like as far as it breaking it up to tracks, you know. But and I think that that was again experimental stuff because. During the 70s, um, it's just funny how much music has changed. It's almost gotten, I mean, nobody would argue, it's almost gotten dumbed down the way it is nowadays. Um, yeah, every now and then, you'll, like I said before, every now and then you'll have somebody that kind of shines through as innovative, but it's very yeah. rare. It's very rare. <laughs> but like back in the 70s, during that period from like, we'll say 65 to 80-ish, people were like, let's try a rock opera. Let's try... You know, let's try to do something that's kind of like, you know, you're reading different chronicles of a book, but this is an album. Right. And I think the people like Pink Floyd and Rush did that and The Who. And, yeah. and, and you know, the, the double album was kind of like the big, ooh, they're, they're coming out with their double album, you know. Right. Um, which I imagine was pretty ambitious at the time for any band to kind of to dive into. I don't know who the Led Zeppelin might have been. Well, actually, the Beatles with the... The White Album might have been the first to try that thing. Um, but then we got after uh, Dark Side, which we have. See, Dark Side is probably not my favorite album. It no. might be, but I go back and forth between Wish You Were Here and Animals. Those Wish You Were Here was 75 and Animals is 77. Um, to me, they're vote, like there's not a bad song on either album, and they just kind of play through really well. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, think about that. A whole album with five songs on it mm-hmm. i mean well when you got 20 minute song do you really need that's, what I'm, <laughs> no, that's, what, well, that's what I'm saying like that shows you uh their commitment to the to the actual instrumental part right. of this i mean obviously i love shine on crazy diamond i've always loved that um on that album um you know either parts pick a part either parts one through five or parts six through nine um i just always have have loved well, how that song builds a little bit. You know? Speaking of that song with live, you've seen the uh, Pompeii version, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love that. That's a great. Um, oh yeah, that's a great. Yeah. Little um, vignette, I guess you would call it, of a, a movie, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty easy to find out there. Um. Anyways, I, those are just two. To me, Animals just has some of the best. Well, before I get to that, wish you were here, which is funny to me because. Um, have a cigar might be one of my favorite songs, and, and and they brought in a guest singer from, which is funny to me because they had two competent singers in the band, but they brought in a guest singer. Yeah, they just wanted a different sound for it. Yeah, yeah. isn't that funny though? Like, yeah, that, what other bands do that? You know, <laughs> can you imagine like on one Led Zeppelin song they were like, uh, let's bring in uh, Pete Townsend for this song. Yeah, sit sit this one out, Robert. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or for that matter, you too saying, eh, you know, Bono, take a take a seat. We're gonna let somebody else sing. You know, <laughs> we're going to bring in Michael Hutchins for this song, which would be <laughs> cool, but still, um, yeah, that, yeah, it's just funny that they brought in that guy. I mean, he did a great job on the song, too. And for the longest time, I didn't know who it was singing it. And then I was like, oh, it's not even one of the guys, right? But anyway, um, with Animals, though, it has some of the best guitar riffs to me. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really good. And then, of course, 1979 comes around. And get the wall, and the wall is special to me because it's part of my early childhood and yours as well. But yep, you know when you're listening, the younger folks out there don't understand this really. But back in the '80s and earlier, 
you heard new stuff through the radio and when you're listening to you know random radio station on the dial songs will come out and that's where i heard songs like um brick in the wall for the first time right and you know all these songs stand out you know hey you comfortably numb um mm-hmm. I'm run like hell that's a that's a great riff on that one yeah that's just got a that's a riding song that's like you can feel it driving you know um to me um you know young lust again mother <laughs> um, that was the one that i always remembered from that album yeah that's a cool song <laughs> you know what's funny um, is that um young lust is like to me the um the ultimate 19 19- for atlanta people you understand it's like the ultimate 96 rock song to me I agree. I agree. I can definitely hear. I can hear him introducing it. Yep. Which to me, again, it's funny the little things that people tried back then, and that they tried at the end of Young Lust. You get the phone call, and it's kind of like, who would come up with that? You know. I mean, if you watch, and then they did the movie, it kind of makes sense, you know. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, that's probably. It's between this one and, and Dark Side of the Moon for being their most fa- famous albums. Um, sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would say you th- people hear Pink Floyd, they think another brick in the wall. That's what they think of. They don't, you know, most yeah. of the time they don't think of the stuff off of Dark Side of the Moon, which, you know, obviously one of the most famous album covers of all yeah. time, that prism. But yeah, you think of, you think Pink Floyd, you think another brick in the wall. That's <laughs> like their most famous song. I haven't really read up enough, I, I, you know, admittedly about the wall, but my impression is that it was kind of um, Pink Floyd's um, not not copying or, or trying to emulate, but like it was sort of their version of trying to do Quadrophenia or something, you know, or trying to do yeah, their okay, version of that. Tommy. Yeah. Um, which to me, the album itself you know, my only critique about it, and it has great songs on, is that it doesn't really flow that great. Like, I find myself just skipping songs to get to another. Yeah, as, mu- as much as it was meant to go along, like, with the story, it, yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't flow, whereas, you know, Dark Side of the Moon flows, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's a little bit more, I don't know what you would call it, segmented. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But it is good. I mean, uh, the one the when I finally sat down and listened to it, it was you know I was like, oh okay, I get it now. I mean, I couldn't get that when I was when I was a teenager. I think I tried to listen to Dark Side. I mean, The Wall, and it was kind of like, okay, this is just kind of weird at times. But now I kind of understand what they were trying to do. And then, of course, to me, Pink Floyd, um, they went through, I guess, kind of a. Um, I mean, they had the final, like we mentioned before, they had the final cut, which was basically, from what I understand, Roger Waters. It was sort of his um his project and he i think i mean he sang on all the tracks i think except maybe one or two and it was sort of like his whole thing and then he left the band after that yep but i actually love um momentary lapse of reason i think that's a great album yeah learning to fly i mean come on Mm -hmm. that's just one of my favorite 80s songs yeah and on the turning away that song is gorgeous that's a great song Mm-hmm. And Jason, if you haven't listened to a lot, their live version of that album during that time, that's a great live album, by the way. If you get a chance to, I forget what the name of the uh, live album is. I'm sure somebody at home is um, yelling it out, <laughs> but um, it actually might be here. I think it was just you can buy it on. I have a copy on on uh, downloaded, but it's a momentary lapse of reason tour or something like that. Yeah, and the division bell wasn't bad either. Yeah, Division Bell. Um, yeah, because Delicate Sound of Thunder was obviously next, and then Division Bell, yeah. Um, I always remember that cover of Delicate Sound of Thunder. <laughs> the guy with the light bulbs on him. Um, Delicate Sound of Thunder. You know what? That's not even listed on uh, Wikipedia li- Studio albums. Yeah, it's not. A, it's a live album. Oh. But it was It was definitely, I just remember that cover. Okay, then um, that's the one that I'm thinking of, I think, for live albums. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't think of the name. But the division bell, yeah, I mean, that 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 one was just, yeah, that was a good take it back. That's a that song is awesome off of that album. 
And then they had the Endless River that came out in 2014. I'm not really sure what that was about, but I, I mean, I kind of listened to some of it. And it was all right, but yeah, you know, um, I will one footnote I will say about their albums is um, David Gilmore. If you haven't heard his um, first solo album, it is a great album. And I believe it's self-titled. Um, they they did a uh, a re <laughs> a re um, remix of "Momentary Lapse of Reason" in twenty nineteen. Yeah, huh. it's like I yeah. need a little more money, so we're gonna do this. But his first solo album, though, I mean, there's a lot of um, Pink Floyd ish type of riffs and stuff in there. But it's a really good album. Definitely highly recommend it. Um, but anyways, so that's kind of. Uh, that's the Pink Floyd discography right there. Yeah, there you go. And then I've, got, I've got most I've got most of these on vinyl. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, I should say I don't have the early stuff, but I've got I've got Dark Side of the Moon. I found the almost mint copy of that original pressing. Wish you were here. I've got one that um, has the original cover where they just it was a blank co- paper cover. Um they covered up the whole thing. Um, if you can find one of those sealed, those are really, they're kind of valuable. Um, animals, I found the copy of. I got a copy of The Wall. Um, actually, those are the only ones I have. But yeah, and then Metal, obviously, because it's got my uh, favorite song on it. But yeah, um, but yeah. now The Who. The Who. The band, no. What? Who? Yes, no. Not yes. What, what is the this, Evan Costello? No, who? Yes. Huh? What are you asking me for? See, I um, almost made us a uh, The Who Yes special, just because... It cracks that. me up that it cracks me up the two bands during that period. You know, one was called themselves the Who, and the other called themselves Yes. Well, where was No during this period? I don't know. <laughs> so, anyways, um, to me, I, I always look at the Who as kind of um, they had sort of phases. Like they had the first phase, which was sort of the mod scene, kind of. Um, you know, it was it was sort of that '60s go-go scene in a way of um, yeah, kind of um, jam bands, the, kind of like the Beatles were before. You know, um, what what was the band Rubber Soul, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and you had like My Generation. Yeah, My Generation was their first album. Yep, a quick one. The Who sell out, and then Tommy, I believe that's where I can see for Miles came on. I don't know if that song is on that album. I don't want to miss say that. No, it is not. It's not on that album. Okay, I'm looking, so I'm I looking at it now. Maybe that was on uh, the Who Sell Out, um, or actually, might have been on Who's Next. But they sort of definitely changed direction. Um, yeah, I can see for Miles was on Who's Next. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, the Who Sell Out, but that was sort of their change in direction with the who sell out and then of course they had tommy which was a huge 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 hit and that's where they did their woodstock um performance that they probably got them on the map more than anything i would think right and then um who's next is probably my favorite album of theirs i think that's a really cool album yeah i mean famous for bob o'reilly obviously and Mm -hmm. behind blue eyes um it flows really well yeah, it does. I have a copy of that one too. Okay. You have Quadrophenia? I do. That's an interesting album too. It's got a lot of good songs on it. Yeah, that one. Um yeah, that's it's another well produced album. I think that's probably one of their better produced albums. Mm-hmm. And Love Rain Over Rain Over Me is just, you know, that's a great song. And I don't know a lot about the Who by Numbers. I mean, that wasn't quite as popular, I don't think. No, I have a copy of it. Um I mean, Squeezebox was on that one. Yeah. Um, you know, probably that's the most famous song on there. Mm-hmm. Which um, sounds a little bit more early Who-like to me. Yeah, it does. It has a very 60s sound. It almost sounds Rod Stewart is what it sounds like to me. Mm. Like I could easily hear Rod Stewart doing that song. It has that very, yeah, which is, again, another British, you know, influence thing. But Right. Um, yeah, and then they had... Um... Yeah, who of are course, you? Who are you? Great album, and um, that one just—I um, I was looking it up. There was um, 
I was actually checking that album out for the first time a few months ago, just listening to it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And that first album, New Song, is a really cool song. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard it before. Um, and Heart and Had Enough is pretty good as well. Um, of course, Sister Disco to me is an interesting song. It's kind of like <laughs> because it comes right there during the disco phase period. And it's kind of funny how some of the rock bands are kind of like, you know, with them and the Rolling Stones are kind of like, okay, what do we do with this disco thing? Do we do we talk about it? Do we sing about it? Do we incorporate it a little bit? <laughs> and if you're a Kiss, you just went ahead and did a song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah, you know, just, yeah, it is kind of interesting how they deal with it. Uh-huh. I mean, it was sort of like, I don't know. It's kind of like during the 80s how, like, some bands are like, let's try a synthesizer just to see what happens. Right. But anyway, um, Face Dances. I don't really know much about that album either, other than... Happy um, Jack is on that one. Yes. Um, they really? did a lot of... Well, that... Well... I'm looking yeah. at the track listings. I mean, that it's like one of the only... You know, there's not as many, like... Oh, You Better You Bet's on that one. Yeah. But there's also, if you look at the extended version, obviously there's a lot of stuff on here that's live, you know, mm-hmm. um, that they did. I always liked you better, you bet for sure. Yeah. Um, and then of course, well, you, you um, better. Yeah. You 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 better bet your life. Uh, and of course, it's hard when that came out. I mean, Eminem's front might be. I always go back and forth with my favorite Who song, but Eminem's front might be my favorite song. Oh wait, you you missed one. Face dances. Oh, I just said that one. Maybe I did. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you that, better bet on that. Sorry. Right. You got yourself um, me. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Eminence Front, again, like we said, definitely has that sound of that era. You know, if you want to, like a very 80s sound to it. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, I like Eminence Front. And every time I hear that commercial that's on TV with it, it's kind of like, ah, I do like that song. It was, to me, a very good uh like Pete Townsend just came up with a really good ditty, if you will. I mean, he just came up with a nice, yeah, a nice little, a nice little riff that has. And to me, that's all a song needs. A lot of times, it just needs to be yep. easy flowing and just kind of fun to sing and fun to hear and just kind of like you know, dan dan dan. And, and you, know, you know, a lot of times that's how songs are written too. Is they come, somebody comes up with one riff and they're like, yeah, let's let's do something with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be hard. No. No pun intended with this song. Yeah. But uh but anyways, and then uh their last real album. I mean, they did have one in 2019, but um their last album was called uh Endless Wire. Yep. Which it doesn't really have any um standout songs, I guess. But yeah, it was kind of one of those. I want to say they were irrelevant at mm-hmm. the time, but it was just not, I mean, it was 2006. So, yeah. I mean, it's like people don't want to hear on. I'm, this is a good point. I was listening to a guy on, on XM or Sirius XM the other day. He's a real legend in the rock world. Eddie trunk is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if you watch a lot of documentaries, he does some of the, the speaking parts on it. And um, he talked about how, you know, a lot of these bands, yeah, we we like new stuff, you know. It's okay, mm-hmm. but we we come to sing along to the to the the classics, you know, the stuff you know. No, no um, doubt. I mean, me and you got burned at a a YouTube concert one time with that um, when we had floor floor seats, right? Um, floor tickets, and uh, yeah, <laughs> they did mostly new stuff. And we're like, <laughs> I still have fun. I mean, it was fun, but it was just like, what in the what is this? You know. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, you just – it's kind of why I didn't like Aerosmith Live because it was like half new stuff. We're all like, no, you know, we don't want to do that. We want to sing along. And so you, you see a band come out with an album later and you're thinking, okay, it's going to have a hard time catching on. Um, it, they're basically putting out an album on their name more than they're on the songs, which is a shame because they, they could have great songs on there, but it's just going to get kind of – it's kind of white noise at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, another British band that just is coming out with a new record, uh, Def Leppard, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
they apparently somebody said they had some stuff on there that sounds really good, and I'm thinking, yeah, but you know, I heard the still... Cheap Tricks uh, newest album was really good, actually. Yeah, Believe I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was, but again, I listened to one track and I was pretty impressed, actually. Yeah, and I mean, I, again, it's just it's hard when you encapsulate a band in an era. Yeah. It's hard for them to put out something so much later. Um, and be I mean, one of my favorite bands, Rush, had albums, you know, up until, you know, mm-hmm. 2009 or whatever it was. Well, yeah, great, yeah. Album, great albums. But nothing is moving pictures. You know, nothing is, you know. Yeah. Well, any sure. Of those, you know, you're not going to have um, a lot of those those albums there. But yeah, yeah. It's but, just. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I, with I was going to say, I think it's safe to say that for Pink Floyd, they had pretty, they had good albums. All, I mean, we, I'm not going to really count the endless river, but from 67 to 94 is a pretty long run. Um, and for the who, for all intents and purposes, they kind of went from 65 to 82. Yeah. Which is a pretty good run. I mean, pretty good run. Um, almost a 20 have, year run. Yeah. To have successful albums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got, the, and then you got the Rolling Stones that are just basically embalmed on stage. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you said it. <laughs> I mean, we know. Just being honest, I mean, with Charlie Watts gone, it's kind of like, okay, that might have been your your signal, guys. Um, but uh, it's just like you said, you, you kind of got to know when to stop. I mean, Zeppelin never recovered from losing John Bonham. We know that. Well, um, I think you can hear too that. Um, when you look into Zeppelin that um, I think the guys were part of the reason they broke up was I think they were all ready for maybe not Jimmy Page, but I think plant was ready for a new direction anyways with his music. Yeah. Um, and I like uh, plants eighties music. I think it's really good. Oh um, yeah. I was. Um, no, I was just thinking that um, for the who though, what comes to mind to me, it's interesting that Roger Daltrey didn't have much of a solo career. But Pete Townsend had a couple, at least one or two um, hits with solo career. Let My Love Open the Door is a really good song. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, that one was a really good song. Um, and, and with uh, Pink Floyd, I don't know of any Roger, Dal- or Roger Waters solo songs that were really popular. No. Um, and David Gilmore didn't have any that were really popular. But I'm telling you, if you go listen to that first album, it should have been a really popular album. It's really good. Um. I like that his first album over some of the Pink Floyd albums. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think that's interesting, though, that um, it, it's hard, I think, for some people to be have a pretty successful solo career after they leave a band. Paul McCartney yeah. obviously did it, but, you know. Yeah, well, he didn't start out doing it. He did it with Wings, right? So right. Well, his, his first album was a solo album. Right, but then, he, you know, he had successful Wings, too. Right, um, right. You know, um, which his wife, you know, helped out with and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, George Harrison had a song here and there. Yeah. His, well, I, yeah. John George Lane. Harrison's, um, let all things should pass is an incredible album. Yeah. That is an incredible album. Um, but you know, you look at John Lennon obviously had a couple between know, the Yoko screams. It was, he had, a, he had a few songs that were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff you get tired of hearing. But um yeah, they um well Ringo, man. Ringo had all the hits. No. Surprisingly <laughs> though, you hear Ringo, I, I it goes back to the simple thing. A lot of his songs are simple, but they're really good. You know? Yeah. Like um it don't come easy. I mean, that's just it's a great I song. Mean, it's, I, it's a great song. I, I, don't, I don't turn the channel when it comes on, you know. Yeah. Um Yellow Submarine. I mean, I, I would say ask any man on the street out there that doesn't know who the Beatles are, they could probably sing Yellow Submarine for you. You know, or or have heard it, I think. Or yeah. um um get by with my friends. Yeah. Um <clears throat> yeah, there's oh you know what though, you you made a point though earlier. You mentioned Aerosmith, and it came to my mind. I was just thinking to myself, we're talking about the Who and Floyd. Aerosmith might have been one of the few American bands that had that sort of classic rock British sound. Don't you agree? 
Or do you think anybody else? Well, a few I, others did. Yeah, I mean that that one. I never thought about it as a British sound. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's probably may not even be the the right word for it. But uh, I know what you're kind of talking about. I, I would say that the British bands had more of a a blues kind of a rock American rock sound. Yeah, more than anything. it's kind of a blues based rock, I guess is what I'm getting right. At. And to me, Aerosmith is one of the few American bands of the 70s that really um, kind of, uh, I don't know, if nailed it or became popular with it. But because like the Eagles, they kind of went back and forth with their sound. Um, they weren't just a blues rock band. Um, you know, Kiss was different. I mean, they weren't they were kind of like that, I guess. Um, you know, Bands like Cheap Trick and, uh, I mean, you know, because like in, the, for instance, a lot of bands in America were just so diverse and different. Um, but when I think of Aerosmith, I could see if somebody had told me that Aerosmith was a British band, I might have believed them when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, whereas, I see that. Whereas, whereas Leonard Skinner, definitely not a British band. You know? Yeah, definitely not. No, <laughs> no. Um, or you know. Just name just about any of those seventies rock bands from America, you know, whether it be somebody like uh, Boston. Uh, yeah, Boston. Uh-huh. They don't really have a British sound to them to me. Or no blues um, kind of rock sound. Right. You know, I, like I they say, it. Oh, my, my heroes were Little Richard and Chuck Berry and right. Muddy Waters, you know. Whereas yeah. a lot of those British people, that was their that was their deal. Which to get again, we've talked about before, but to me, it's a phenomenon that's very cool. Is that um, a lot of the the old blues guys like Muddy Waters, um, Buddy Guy, you know, you name it, all those other Delta Blues and Chicago Blues, mm-hmm. like they were being ignored by a lot of the, not ignored, but just they weren't part of the whatever you want to call it scene, and then these white British guys listen to us. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. I want to emulate it. <laughs> right. Know? And right. then they bring it back here and it sells like gangbusters when they bring it back. Oh yeah. Their, their version of it. I mean, Pink Floyd is named after two, um, uh, black, uh, blue singers. True. 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 So. Yeah. I think it, it is interesting. Um, I, yeah, you think about bands too that are done. Obviously, you know bands from that same kind of era. Um, I mean, obviously, you know Zeppelin did their Celebration Day thing, but with Jason Bonham, who's a good drummer, that was really um, good. Yeah, I thought he, you know, he did his, he did a good tribute to his dad. That was a great concert. Um, you know, and he had his own hit. He had his own band. Uh, they had the song "Wait for You." I love mm-hmm. that song. Um, but then, you know, you've, but if you listen to that song, Wait for You, I mean, it obviously it sounds like Led Zeppelin. Um, but, um, oh, he played, I, did Jason Bonham not play in Foreigner for a while? He may have. I, I don't know. Um, Which, by the way, Foreigner might be the other band that I could not think of that sort of reminded me of a British blues rock band. Yeah, I could see it. I could, yeah, mm-hmm. I could definitely hear that in Foreigner. Definitely hear it in Foreigner. Um, the, um, the other ones I was trying, I mean, obviously, the Who went on after after Keith Moon. Um, right. Zeppelin stopped. Uh, then, I mean, what is it with drummers? It's crazy. Obviously, we lost one recently, which was really sad. Oh yeah, um, um, Taylor Hawkins. Uh, right? Taylor Hawkins. I mean, we have to mention that. That just that tore me up. I, I like, couldn't oh, have told you his man. name if somebody had asked me three weeks ago because I've never been a huge Foo Fighters fan. I do like a lot of their songs. I knew him because he's just his personality was so crazy, over the top. He was just funny, you know. Mm-hmm. He and he and Dave Grohl inducted Rush into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they did a uh, a really funny tribute band thing where they dressed up. Um, like uh-huh. the 21 back at 2112 oh, and white oh man it's great it's terrific the food fighters uh, are great at um just doing tongue-in-cheek stuff well and they're just musically amazing i mean it's dave grohl they were well, one of the last rock rock bands around you know yeah dave grohl just uh for somebody to have oh there's well, heck, there's a perfect example mm. um dave grohl um you know a guy who's a purist for music he's an analog guy he bought that neve board uh, from Sound City Studios, that's a full-on analog mixing board. Jack White is uh, similar too. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. Uh, they're very very 
He's all into the analog stuff. Yep. Very purist as far as music. And you can tell when they, when they do their stuff and all the projects they're involved in. But Dave Grohl came from a giant band um, for music time frame. Now, they didn't have a lot of albums, <laughs> but they obviously changed the scene. Um, Nirvana. And obviously, they quit after their lead singer died because there was only three of them. Um, and um, Chris Novoselica, I don't even know if he did anything else afterwards. Um, but, um, you know, Dave Grohl being the, the drummer for Nirvana to come out and just front Foo Fighters. And we, I remember when I first heard about him starting a band, I'm like, oh, good luck. You know, you're always getting, they're always going to ask you to do Nirvana songs. But he, they blew past Nirvana. To me, they were higher than Nirvana musically, everything. Um, so what's that got to do with the Who and Pink Floyd, Jason? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it's music, Gene. Um, let's see. They have they have guitars and they have drums. And, uh, uh, um, but you know, it just it 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 goes to show you how bands can spawn out of other bands, can sound like there's always, you know, there's never anything new under the sun, right? So everything's right. always a, a a modulation of something else. And then you'll have bands like these two we talked about that they have their own sound that existed in the same time frame, but you can definitely tell the difference between the two. Well, do you, do you see why I've kind of made my point as to why I, I kind of wanted to lump these two together though today? Yeah. 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 It makes sense. I don't I mean, know. See just... Two British bands, same time frame. Mm-hmm. Somewhat similar histories in a way and kind of a, yeah, you know, I mean, both I lost their drummers. Um, and, and just sort of, you know, I don't know. They To me, they just sort of had a similar um, blues-based kind of... For instance, I could have easily put... Uh, I mean, Queen came a little bit after these two, but, you know... Queen's yeah, but I think that's a totally different... Yeah, yeah, that's a different category altogether. I might put <laughs> Queen with somebody like Kiss. I don't know. Or somebody... Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know who you put Queen with. Queen's, yeah, kind of, odd. Kind of, Queen's an oddball. Another one, another animal all to themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, yeah, there's, you know, obviously we could talk for, you know, hours on end about music and, and different eras and stuff like that. And it's, it's hard. It's always hard to kind of narrow it down. Yeah. Um, well, for our purposes today, though, what are your uh, final thoughts then on that? Uh, people Mr. go Flo- out. Mr. Floyd and the who. Well, I would say, um, I would say that you have two different styles. You have the Who, which was always considered the stadium rock band, right? As technically, historically, has the loudest concert ever. That's true. Uh, recorded, um, and then you have Pink Floyd, which to me is the master of production. That band, their band, is the master of production, whether it be with Alan Parsons or not. It's levels and levels and layers and layers upon layers of music yeah and people can't together. to this day emulate it i will say there are some good tribute bands out there um right whether it be the australian pink floyd brit floyd or actually you know well, we I mean, have a, uh, coming up with their own stuff that could emulate the, the quality right yeah. yeah i mean you know i no, there are great there are great um tribute bands for sure yeah definitely um but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I haven't seen a band with that kind of layered production uh, since. So, would you say that you, between the two, or do you think you're more of a, is it sort of a tie, or do you like Pink Floyd over the Who, or vice versa? It's hard. It's hard because I go through musical moods, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, I would say all around, I probably like Pink Floyd better. Um, you know, just if if I was gonna choose, all right, that's how that's how you judge that, right? Kind of feel the same. What are you you're gonna judge? What do you? What would you if you had? Let's go back to olden days, Gene. If you had two CDs sitting in the in the car, which one are you more likely to put in? Pink Floyd. I mean, that's just. Well, I go back to what I listen to, and <clears throat> I can tell you without a doubt that through any year, I'll probably go back and listen to at least one or two Pink Floyd albums all the way through. Right. And, um. I don't really do that with the who I don't even know if I own, I think I own who's next, but I don't know if I own any of the other albums. Right. I think I own Tommy, but that's, um, and maybe Quadrophenia, but I, I'm still, I'm still working on my album collections. So you know, <laughs> not, not just vinyl. I mean, I, I get CDs so I can get it on digital, 
this is to the car wherever I need to go. But my my vinyl collection is nowhere near your your stratosphere, Jason. So we, well, I, that's a whole different night to talk about I your mean, vinyl I collection. That, yeah, maybe we'll ther- do that. Do we I need, need a therapy gene? <laughs> I need therapy gene because hey, there there I, are worse vices out there, Jason. Okay? I know, and and I try not to go too expensive on them. I usually go for the eight dollar range as being my normal. Um, uh-huh. so it's a bunch of stuff I like. You know, it's a bunch of little albums you pick up here and there i'll pick one one or two up here and there i'm not going to go out now i mean, i looked for the white album i found a good copy original oh. pressing of the white album um you know stuff like that i mean i after neil peart died finding rush albums was a challenge but somehow i found them all um so which is um which is your um do you have a favorite vinyl album between the who and um pink floyd that you own i mean is it I mean, I don't know if the one's more valuable Dark. or more, you know, whatever. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon is always going to kind of rise above. Okay. Um, I do have a copy of the wall. Um, but, you know, Quadrophenia is a great album. Um, but I still think Dark Side of the Moon kind of rises above, especially for like I was talking about, the layers kind of come out in vinyl even more mm-hmm. um, as far as the warmth of it goes. And, and vinyl's warmer anyway. Than digital but that actually you know it adds to it to have all those layers of production okay. so speaking of and i think we've i think with i will i think that we've covered pink floyd and the who good tonight thanks jason yeah no problem. <laughs> but uh i was i you know more about this than i do i just want to briefly talk about it. we'll get more into it one other night but um okay the whole idea of mono and i'm not talking about the disease um the um I didn't even realize that the Beatles had re-releases of all these mono vinyl mm-hmm. albums compared to stereo and that stereo right. was just sort of something they did. But I was looking on YouTube and apparently there's this whole debate about like some albums are better to get on mono, some yeah. better on stereo or some songs are better on stereo, some better on mono. I didn't, yeah. I didn't this is all new to me, Jason. I didn't, I mean, explain this. I, to me. Honestly, it's kind of a preference thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there are purists who think that the mono recordings are still going to be the best. Uh, um, but for those of us who actually like to listen to music, um, I would say stereo is probably still superior. Mm. Um, but it's the fact that it's the old idea that the band started to kind of rely on stereo. I know it sounds so archaic to talk about it like this now, but you know, when stereo recordings were big, it was like, they relied on the the spatial thing with stereo more than they did with mono. Does that make sense? Because mono is literally what it sounds like. It's one channel. So it's the same channel coming out of both speakers. Like if you, you had it hooked up to your, your speakers left and right, you hear the same thing. The whole idea is if you have one speaker hooked up, you could hear the whole thing. Right. Um, that's a simplification of it, but that's basically right. what it means. And, so you can imagine if they're if they're mixing something for it to sound good coming out of one speaker, you know it's got to be pretty good. Mm. So there's a lot of people that like that the stacked way of doing mono a lot better. Um, well, for me, it's going to be weird because if I'm used to hearing a Beatles song for the last my entire life, you know, and I'm used to hearing, okay, here comes this guitar part in my right ear, and suddenly it's sort of just muffled between both ears it's kind of weird for me well and, and well and the thing about mono is it's not going to be muffled it's going to be or not the muffled. same it, not but yeah just it doesn't do the same thing that's what i mean right yeah you're used to it coming from one side um and and that's kind of the the deal they were playing with spatial around I mean, because obviously technology was in its infancy with that and it was like yeah. ooh, stereo we can actually you know record in a, in a right and left channel very um, interesting yeah and it's Again, I'm overly simplifying it. I'm sure you yeah. can get online and, and hear. You know. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I watched, um, to, to tell you where I was going with that, I watched a video of a British guy. He was apparently into all this with uh, the Beatles albums. And he you can find it on YouTube. But basically, he had a whole rating system where he listened through the monos and the stereos of all the different ones, all the way up to the white album. And he would give them a rating for each one. And pretty much all of the early Beatles stuff, he recommended getting the mono version up to, um, I think, Sergeant Peppers. And then once you got to Sergeant Peppers, um, Magical Mystery Tour and the White Album, it was 
closer. Like it, I think he still gave the edge to Mono, but then he would say that you have to um, take a preference on a lot of the songs for those three albums. Yeah. So it was interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I've got a few mono albums. I know. So mm-hmm. it's just, speak- you know, I, I don't even think about it. You know, you just put it on. It's going to come out of both speakers anyway. So it's like, mm-hmm. but you can definitely tell it's, it's, much more poignant when it's mono coming out of two speakers well one um, one thing that he pointed out was uh helter skelter uh-huh. you don't hear i got blisters on my fingertips on the mono version no you don't which i was like wow that's not even worth hearing that <laughs> right yeah uh so anyway um by the way i guess you didn't get dire straits album yet huh uh i have the yeah, dire Stra- arms the dire straight remember the one that I brought, I yeah about? I know. Yeah. I just haven't found it yet. Um, right. When's your next uh, outing to a record store? Oh, I just do it while I'm out, man. If I if I think <laughs> of one, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go by there. I'm gonna go by this store. Yeah. I'm gonna buy that store. I'm gonna go by that antique mall that has a really good booth with records in it because that's where you're gonna find most of them. All um, right, Jason. Uh, yeah. well, let's let's end this. Thanks All for right, uh, thanks for going through it. We went through it and we're done. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>